Hello and welcome to this week's edition of Econa Day Unplugged. It's Tuesday the 2nd of April 2019, which is a pity because it means we just missed April Fool's Day. But fear not, because we have Mark Pender stateside, our Asian guru, Brian Jackson, is in Sydney, and I'm Jeremy Hawkins here in London. So, Brian, since we have the benefit of your wisdom today, let's kick off with you and let's head towards India. So, RBI Thursday, a surprise cut in rates in February. What chance of second successive move this week? And if they do ease again, how much do you think it's to do with the economy and how much is it due to politics from election just around the corner? Well, yeah, I don't want to be too cynical. Obviously, um, no, please feel free. We have had a change of leadership uh, in the RBI over the last uh, few months. And, you know, there is some suggestion that, uh, you know, the the new governor is a little bit more amenable to uh, the government's uh, desires to not have interest rates uh, too high and to uh, restrict growth. But, um, you know, I I accept that, um, you know, the RBI is going to consider everything on its merits and, um, yeah, so we'll see what happened. We've definitely had you know, some mixed data uh, coming out over the last uh, you know, couple of months uh, since the last uh, RBI meeting. So, um, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens. I've got to ask, because, I mean, if I remember rightly, we've got core inflations running at over 5%, I think, isn't it, at the moment? So is, is that not something they pay particular attention to and they concentrate more upon the headline index? Or is it just is it temporary distortions or, or what's going on? I think uh, in India, you do tend to have a bit more of a focus on the headline um, than perhaps in some of the more developed markets, just because of the impact of food prices, you know, on people's living standards. Uh, so right. food prices are a bigger, you know, part of, of the uh, of the basket and definitely, uh, you know, can be very politically uh, uh, significant. So, uh, yeah, the, the, the officials are always looking at what's happening at food prices as well as the underlying rate. Okay, fair enough. RBA, Monday, no change in uh, cash rate. Um, anything we should be looking for or talking about out of that? No, I mean, I, I had a look through the, the statement uh, that accompanied the release and it wasn't too different um, from, from the previous month. I, you know, I think the RBA has, has sort of made their shift early in the year in their policy outlook. You know, as, as you know, they were uh, and just a, a few months ago saying that the next move in rates was likely to be higher. Yeah, uh, right. Now they've sort of a more neutral, you know, that rates could be higher, they could be lower, we're not too, not too sure. And so when you look at the language of the statement, not a lot of change. But one thing that, you know, perhaps was a little bit different was I was just talking about how um, household income growth has been low. Uh, in the statement last month, they were saying how they still expected that to pick up, but they removed any reference to that this month. So perhaps a little bit more um, uncertain about that part of the of the mix. Uh, but otherwise, you know, they still seem reasonably comfortable about what's going on in the housing market, uh, still referring it to it as an adjustment uh, and still uh, pretty confident about, uh, you know, the labour market uh, and how that's going at the moment. But it's interesting. We've had, a, you know, the RBA change its uh, stance a little bit in the last uh, month or so. And then, of course, last week we had the Reserve Bank of New Zealand also. Um, mm-hmm. So keeping rates on hold, but... Uh, changing um, its assessment of the outlook slightly. So again, previously, they had said that they they were neutral about whether the next move would be up or down. They you know, didn't really have a view. But last week, they changed that. And now they think that the next move in rates would likely be a, a cut. 
Jeremy, uh, this is, uh, I mean, uh, Brian, this is Mark. Um, uh, You were talking about an adjustment in housing. Were you you referring to uh, what are now contracting home prices in Australia? Exactly, yes. Yeah, so that's, you know, if you read the newspapers uh, here in Australia, uh, you know, they don't call it an adjustment. They call it, you know, a a huge slowdown or a slump in in housing market and, and, and house prices. But the RBA is referring to that process, you know, in more measured tones as an adjustment. So they, they just make the point that prices had risen quite sharply, uh, you know, over recent years. And so, you know, the moves that we've seen over the last 12 months or so, um, you know, are seen in that context. So, again, you know, they're, they're just calling it an adjustment for the time being, but we'll see what happens. Okay, well, let's ask you about China then, because we had well, a better, at least a slightly better PMI out on Monday. So, I mean, how do you think China's doing now? And, and I suppose on, you know, on that related note, we've got the ongoing sort of US-Chinese trade talks again this week, albeit not at sort of presidential level. How important do you think it is to China, ignoring the US side of it, how important is it to China that they actually get some kind of trade agreement with the US? Well, I mean, it's been dragging on for, for quite some time now. And I, I think that uh, both parties have signaled that they'll come up with some sort of deal. And, um, and and more importantly, they won't sort of enter into this sort of round of, of tariff hikes and re- retaliation. Mm-hmm. So I think that's going to be definitely a positive. And there's been a few sort of other signs of, of positive news in, in China over the last month or so from a policy perspective, um, you know, some... Uh, easing of uh, liquidity conditions, uh, some tax cuts, other sort of fiscal measures. So there are a few things in place there that um, yeah, might provide a bit of a boost. But it's interesting also in that we're now just starting to get um, you know, what, I, what I would consider a clean read on what's going on in the Chinese economy. You know, as you know, at the start of each year, it is a little bit difficult to get a, a good handle of what's going on just because of the yeah, impact sure. of, of the Lunar New Year holidays. So the, you know, the January and February numbers that you get in February and March are always a little bit hard to interpret uh, because of that. Now, you know, we've, we've seen a, a March number for the first time with the PMI surveys. And so that's, you know, should be past the, the impact of those uh, new, ho- new year holidays. Um, so it's just one, uh, one reading. Uh, and, you know, we did see a rebound in the PMI numbers, but only from, you know, a small contraction to a small expansion. So not a huge um yeah, it's definitely not a huge signal that uh, the manufacturing sector is 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 going very strongly, but it's at least in in the right direction. Okay, great, thanks, Brian. Oh, um, I have a wait a yeah. minute, Jeremy. I have a yeah, question please. for Brian. So, um, in, in a nutshell, how's the Asia economy doing? Uh, you know, the U.S. is uh, clearly slowing. I, I'll let Jeremy describe Europe, but uh, tell us how Asia is doing, and you know, it, it describe its um, condition right now. Yeah, you have definitely seen the impact of, of those weaker Chinese numbers on the whole region over the last, you know, say, three or four months. Um, and, you know, the the, uh, the impact that I said about the Lunar New Year holidays on Chinese data can also be seen uh, in, in Asian data right across the region. Uh, so, you know, we, we'll definitely um, get a, a cleaner read on that again as we go forward and, and get past that, that, that factor. But... You know, the, the, probably the, the main thing to look at in some of those small Asian countries is, is what's happening on, on the trade side. And so, you know, you'll see Singapore or Hong Kong, uh, you know, they've had, uh, you know, a, a bit of an impact on their export growth. Uh, and, and that's also flowed through into, you know, the industrial production numbers and their, and their PMI surveys. So there, I, there I think, are a good barometer of, of the broader uh, trends in the region. 
And so just uh, you know, keep an eye on those sort of factors. Okay, great. Thanks. Uh, Mark, important mm. data week for you. I yeah. see you already had some slightly mixed figures on retail sales and manufacturing. So yeah. how do they bode for the employment report Friday then? Well, how do they uh, – well, they don't have a direct uh, – employment seems to be its, its, own, uh, uh, its own thing. It seems to be – had been very strong until the February uh, sl abrupt slowdown. Um, so we can have uh, slowing um, indications, slowing manufacturing, slowing retail sales, and still have strong employment, which I almost have a hunch is a global uh, thing right now. Um, but in any case, for the U.S., we had a durable goods report that uh, on the headline is pretty scary, uh, a sharp decline, uh, but it was expected 1.6%. Um, the actual, and, and those are, that's because of big swings in aircraft orders. Those are, are large things. They are clumped up. Um, if you exclude those and, and also motor vehicles and other transportation equipment, it's almost dead flat. The um, the uh, manufacturing sector uh, in, in both orders and production has just really kind of, you know, leveled off in a, in a very visible and significant way. Um, so you, we're not going to get at least a lot of punch out of um, the manufacturing sector. I say that, but yesterday, Monday, we had the ISM manufacturing index. It came in at uh, much better than expected, 55.3, right at that top end of a, a Conaday's consensus range. But this is just one particular sample. And month-to-month -month change in this doesn't uh, always correlate to month-to-month um, uh, -month change uh, in general manufacturing. It really should be giving us um, a pivot indication. Uh, if anything, things maybe uh, will you know, pick up or slow down or stay the same. Um, that's, I think, a, a good way to use um, uh, diffusion indexes like the ISM. Um, and uh, but it might be giving us a head fake. It is only one sample. The PMI manufacturing, which is a rival sample, it, it showed slowing. So um, the in, when you get these mixed indications like this, is you know it's probably not a positive. But I you know another thing that I think is important is that um, the uh, exports are are, are have a, a less of an impact. For the U.S. economy than other economies, uh, so um, it there we may or the U.S. may very well be able to withstand um, uh, slowing uh, international trade. Um, that still has to be seen. But now retail sales is the domestic-centered thing that came out Monday and uh, surprising declines through February. Uh, but the problem or the offset is is that January was revised sharply higher, but that followed an incredibly weak uh, 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 December. That was the the weakest by far of the recovery of the of the expansion. So um, the consumer may be feeling it um, and now that you ask me. Uh, what does this kind of mean? What what could this say about uh, Friday's uh, employment report? It I think it could on the margin. Uh, indicate less uh, strength, um, but the Econoday consensus is 170,000 rising, which is very solid in non-farm payroll. But this is a payback from a 20,000 uh, out outlier, which is assumed to be an outlier for February. But even the consensus range, the lowest uh, uh, of the forecasters, is one four, uh, 145,000, which is still a, a, a really good report. Um, so. 
Uh, if it isn't good, <laughs> there might be a, a more significant risk to a greater reaction in the markets if there is a disappointing uh, number than if there is an outside uh, a, a large increase in the 300 range that we were getting before we got that 20,000. What's the kind of call on first quarter GDP now? Well, I think we're looking at a probably maybe we can get to, to 2%, but the risk here is – and uh, we were talking about this before, Jeremy, about inventory growth. We're getting signs of, of an odd build, a very sharp build in the whole in the wholesale uh, sector, uh, uh, goods piling up on the shelves in the retail sector. Um, it hasn't really shown itself in manufacturing. Uh, and um, but in any case, uh, rising inventories will help. Uh, first quarter GDP. However, it might uh, backfire uh, mm -hmm. if, if it's unwanted uh, uh, in the second quarter. And that could be a risk to employment. Um, this is we've only had a couple of months like this, but it's very unusual. And and to, you know we're talking about the Chinese uh, uh, Lunar New Year, but you know uh, winter months here in the U.S. they're not so easy to adjust for either. So you know we have because the volumes are down uh, compared to other months, and the adjustments have to pick those up. So you get outsized effects that way. So. Um, uh, it's not, you know, to, to that same level, but it is. It, it puts a question mark when you get uh, volatility. But in some, there is very clear uh, evidence, and this is what the Federal Reserve is, uh, had been warning us that we need to wait and see. Let's see how these risks play out. And we haven't even had Brexit yet, you know. And so, <laughs> if that happens, who knows what's going to happen? So, do <laughs> do right. All right. If I put it back to my side and just continue what you're talking about volatility and some of the problems interpreting the data, because I think it's worth picking up on as far as Europe's concerned. And as people might or might not have seen, we had the flash eurozone inflation figures out for March um, the other day, and they showed a surprisingly weak core rate. So this is the narrowest measure, which excludes energy, food, drink and tobacco. Now that came in at just a 0.8% yearly rate. That was down from a final 1.0% in February well short of market expectations and and realistically the kind of level which should start to send a, send a few shivers down the collective spine of the ECB. Now I think it's worth mentioning this probably needs to be taken with a bit of a you know a bit of a pinch of salt potentially because we are talking about running running around Easter time. This year we have a late Easter, what the back end of April, April the 21st, compared to the beginning of April um, last year. Now when we get the run up to Easter, we tend to see consumers buying that much more in anticipation of the holidays, and producers typically respond by hiking prices. So because we've had the delayed Easter this year, it may well be that. Some of the usual seasonal strength in prices we tend to see simply hasn't materialized um, in, yet in 2019. It'll come through in April. So it's possible that the downturn we saw in Eurozone core inflation may just prove temporary. We'll need to wait until this month's figures to really get any kind of you know, conclusive idea. Now, that's not to say that Eurozone inflation is really going anywhere anyway. Uh, the core rate's been stuck around this 1% mark, give or take, for a long time now. So there's still you know, question marks about whether or not ECB policy is going to have to ease again. And that was really compounded by or well, really confirmation of a, a desperate times for uh, manufacturing for the Eurozone, particularly in Germany. Uh, their private, uh, their purchasing managers index for March came in at a miserable 44.1. That's an 80 month low. 
the whole eurozone PMI for the sector came in at its weakest level in nearly six years. So manufacturing at the moment really is weighing on eurozone growth. And if we start to see any kind of a slowdown in services, which so far are holding up quite well, then you know, there's a real chance we're going to see some, some pretty awful looking GDP numbers coming out of the eurozone in general. So I think as far as next week's ECB meeting is concerned, it's best to start thinking about uh, no change in interest rates or QE at this stage. But I expect the uh, president to sound pretty, pretty bearish or at least pretty dovish in terms of the way things are going. Mark mentioned Brexit. And of course, we can't finish this off without a quick mention on that. Um, so I'll just raise the issue that uh, a couple of hours ago, after almost a record cabinet meeting, the prime minister has just said that she'll be holding talks with the opposition leader, Jeremy Corbyn, to try to agree on a compromise that can be passed in the UK Commons, though she can take some kind of deal to the EU leaders summit next week. As things currently stand, we've had a number of indicative votes, which were supposed to be guiding Parliament down the kind of route whereby Commons can actually come out in favour of some kind of option. That still hasn't happened as yet. So we're talking about now discussions between the government and the opposition principal opposition party, which if they can agree on something, that will be voted on in, in Parliament over the next few days and taken to the EU Leaders Summit next Wednesday. If they can't, we'll resume indicative votes again, but the difference being this time is that these will be binding as opposed to non-binding as we've had in the past. So it does look as if this Brexit ball is gradually starting to move in a certain direction now. Uh, the problem being, of course, that it's still not guaranteed that we're going to get any kind of extension. Now, as things currently stand, uh, the Prime Minister will be asking for yet another extension. So beyond the April the 12th Brexit date, as the EU fixed last week, um, say so she may get it, she may not. It's not clear. Nobody wants a no deal Brexit, but is clearly mounting risk of this. It gets complicated because of the timing of the European parliamentary elections, which need to be taken on board in May the 21st, so 23rd rather. So it's a very complex all round issue surrounding Brexit at the moment and effectively still absolutely everything to play for. So, so Mark, um, I was just wondering, yeah, um, up. Mark, oh, sorry, Jeremy, uh, did this uh, overture from uh, Prime Minister May to the Labour Party, what impact do you expect that to have on you know, uh, members of our own uh, government? Possibly. Possibly. Well, uh, this, this is one of the issues, of course. Um, the big issue with Brexit um, is it's not just something you can divide on a party basis. It's down to individual members. The political vision for Brexit really just doesn't work. So the starting point, I think you've got to say, is that May has backed down or at least softened her stance by virtue of that she's prepared to discuss this issue with, with, with Corbyn. Corbyn's side is certainly in favour of a softer Brexit. So in terms of financial markets, that would be well received. It could actually go through. The problem, of course, for Theresa May is that she's really gambling on this because there's a lot of her party who are these staunch Brexiteers who have any kind of idea about asking for another extension, let alone going down the route of a soft Brexit, is going to you know, go down like a lead balloon. So it's really difficult to say whether or not she's A, going to be able to get an agreement with Corbyn in the first place, since they disagree on, disagree on so much, and B, if she does get an agreement whether or not she'll be able to get through parliament so it's kind of still fingers in the air at the moment and just you know see what's going to happen because nobody really knows so i hope that's a, a very useful answer to that question because it really is the case at the moment you know the brexit fog is as thick as ever um 
Okay, what else have we got? Anybody else got anything else they'd like to chat about before we where are we, before we start winding it up? I'll take the silences and no. So okay then, <laughs> let's let's wrap it up there then. I guess I should mention it's 105 years ago today that the US Federal Reserve Board announced plans to divide the country into 12 districts. And it looks as if it could take just as long for the UK Parliament to decide what the heck it wants to do with Brexit. On behalf of Mark, Brian and myself, thanks as always for listening to the, the podcast. We'll be back again next week. Bye for now. Thank you.